Well, turn with me now in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 21. This will set the context a little bit for our sermon passage. It's the first Lord's Day of the month in August. It is the 48th month that I have been your installed pastor, and so I am preaching from Psalm 48. It is our Psalm of the Month, Psalm 48. But before we turn there, let's look at Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read verses 9 through 27. Revelation 21, verses 9 through 27. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a precious stone. Like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and the names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three on the east, three on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now, the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper. And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire. The third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardix, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. 
John is on the island of Patmos on the Lord's Day, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is seeing these series of visions. In fact, he sees seven of them. In fact, he sees seven sets of seven visions. There's a method to the madness. And here at the final end, here as you're coming to that climactic 49th vision, he sees a city, but a city unlike anyone that we have ever seen. We see cities of steel and glass, of stone and of stick, but not John. John sees a city of surpassing beauty, of uneclipsed glory, a city of light and color, full of wealth and treasure. And yet John drives his point home repeatedly. How many of you have heard the phrase tossed about, I can't wait to walk through those pearly gates and on those streets of gold? And yet, John repeatedly says in the text, it's all overshadowed by the Lamb who is in it. The glory and the treasure and the wealth of heaven is the Christ who is there. With that in mind, turn back to Psalm 48. We're going to look this morning at Psalm 48. In which, as it were, the sons of Korah look upon the same vision as John. Only they see it before Christ. Whereas John sees it after the coming of Christ. John looks up and he sees the heavenly city. And he sees it in all of its Christ-like glory. The sons of Korah look up and they see the heavenly city. But they see it as a reflection of Jerusalem on earth. So let's consider this together. Psalm 48. Here again the word of the Lord. A song. A psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in His holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. The city of the great king, God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. For behold, the kings assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled. They hastened away. Fear took hold of them there in pain, as of a woman in birth pangs. As when you break the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen, in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Selah. We have thought, O God, on your loving kindness. In the midst of your temple, according to your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go all around her. Count her towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. For this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will be our guide, even to death. Amen.
And amen. Well, a week and a half ago, I was sitting in a 16-foot-long raft on the middle fork of the Flathead River. What did you guys think I was going to talk about? And there behind me, rising up, were the great jagged alpine peaks of Glacier National Park. All on the sides were the towering trees overshadowing the river. There was the one dead tree chewed in half along the base by a mighty beaver. And in its topmost branch, sitting side by side like something out of a magazine, were two bald eagles. Off to the left was a little deer drinking from the river. I am not making this up. (laughs) And just around the bend beyond the little deer was a small grove of trees whose roots were exposed by the raging river having torn away the edge of the cliff. Our competent and intelligent guide said to us, those trees will be in the river next summer. The relentless rage of erosion tears down the mightiest forests and the tallest mountains. In physics, we call it the second law of thermodynamics. It's entropy. Everything in this earth tends toward disorder, toward chaos. It tends toward destruction and even death. And yet, in Psalm 48, the sons of Korah celebrate the one earthly institution that defies that otherwise universal principle. The church of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God on earth expressed visibly as the church of Jesus Christ. It is the one earthly thing undefiled by the ravages of time and space. Beloved, the truth of God for us is that Jesus keeps us safe. This is the good news in Psalm 48. Jesus keeps us safe. So let's follow Him. So let us follow Him. Look at me. Look with me. Look at me too, but I want you to look at the psalm more. Look with me at the psalm. Psalm 48 begins in verse 1 with, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. But notice the prepositional phrase that follows. In the city of our God. In his holy mountain. You see, the sons of Korah are not so much celebrating the greatness of God, though that is worth celebrating. They are not so much celebrating his worthiness of worship, though that too would be worth celebrating. No, in this particular psalm, the sons of Korah are celebrating how great God is in the church. And how uniquely and particularly worthy of our worship God is. He is great here. And He is greatly to be praised here. As the church of Jesus Christ, we have a unique and special responsibility to celebrate the greatness of our God. You see, all creation should worship Him. All sinful humanity should worship Him. But as the children of God, 
as the recipients of grace, as those in a covenant relationship with the living God, we have a special privilege that brings with it the special responsibility to know His greatness and to praise Him greatly. First, He gives us access to heaven. The great privilege that He has given to the church that makes us the unique, responsible party to worship Him is our access to heaven. Notice in verse 2, it says that the holy mountain of God, the city of God, is beautiful in elevation. As someone fresh from the mountains of Montana, I can tell you that elevation is beautiful. You get up 6,000, 10,000 feet, and all of a sudden the world takes on a new perspective. And there is a kind of beauty that fills the creation when you can see it in a God's eye view. But so much more, higher than the highest peaks of the Himalayas, the church has the best view. The church, more than any other peak in all creation, is beautiful in elevation. Now clearly the sons of Korah do not mean literal geographical shapes because Mount Zion is shorter than most of the mountains in the Middle East, much less the Rockies or the Himalayas. Now the sons of Korah here speak, as it were, of a metaphor that the mountain of the church can bring the worshiper to a place no mountain on earth can get you. Everest will never scrape the bottom of heaven's door. And the church will put you right through into the throne room of God. My friends, this is what it is to be beautiful in elevation. To be able to ascend in a moment from the darkest despairs of your earthly lives to the very highest heights of heaven's glory. What do you think we did when I called you to worship with Psalm 125? We bid farewell and we ascended. We ascended into the heavenly places where it is beautiful. Indeed, this church, it is beautiful because it reaches into the heavens. It is the joy of the whole earth. It connects earth to the very fountain of joy, the presence of God. It pierces the heavens and brings us into fellowship with God, making us the joy of the whole earth. It is there on the sides of the north. Again, they cannot possibly mean geography, because if you know your Middle Eastern geography, Zion isn't anywhere near the north. It's in the middle. But by this they mean that it reaches to the other ends of the earth, all the way to the far reaches of the north. The joy and the beauty of the church is unmistakable, shining out with the radiance of heaven. Verse 3, God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. You see, what is special about us as a human civilization, as a human society, as a human institution, is not the beauty of our dark brown wood pews, not the radiant light of our stained glass, not the tremendous intellects, or even overwhelming love of our friendship. My friends, the one asset we bring to this city that far eclipses every other institution is we know God. He is with us. He is in our palaces. He is known by us. 
He speaks to us and calls us His children. He envelops us as a refuge. He is our hiding place and our shelter. We have a welcome in the heavens that you cannot find in any golf course, in any national park, in any restaurant, in any other home in all the earth. The church alone is glorious to be a house of worship because that's where God lives. It's God's house. It's God's people gathered into God's house. He dwells in her palaces. He makes himself known as her refuge. My friends, come to church. Not to hear an energetic New Yorker babble. Come to church, not just to see your best friends in the whole wide world. Come to church because there is God. He dwells there as a refuge for sinners. Follow Jesus to church. Secondly, the sons of Korah celebrate our access into the heavenly places. Mount Zion is special. The church is special because there we can get into fellowship with God. But secondly, we have an earthly safety. In verses 4 through 7, the sons of Korah celebrate how the nations of this world cannot harm the church. They seem to be remembering some sort of historic moment. They speak of the kings assembling together, bringing their armies, amassing their wealth and their strength, marching on the city of Jerusalem. Perhaps anachronistically, they're envisioning Sennacherib and the Assyrians. You remember how they came around? They came around with an army that could not be numbered. They surrounded Jerusalem. They took all the fortified cities. They boxed Hezekiah in. And then what did they do? Well, 180,000 of them died one night, and the rest of them went home. They were filled with fear and pain like a woman in birth. They doubled up in agony, wrenching and retching at their guts. They were so troubled, they hurried away. This is how safe the church is. This is how secure this society is. That in this house, all the power, wealth, and strength of the nations could assemble and surround and disappear. They cannot overcome the citadels, the walls, the gates, the fortresses. This city is so secure, there is none who dare assail it. Indeed, in verse 7, they compare it to a second experience. It's as if you break their armies like the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. You guys get the metaphor, right? You remember the ships of Tarshish? It is this tiny little story that apart from Psalm 48, none of us would have a clue because we just skip right over it. It's this little tiny moment in the life of Jehoshaphat. He's a great king. He's a good king. And he wants to be a great king like his granddaddy Solomon. And you know, in Solomon's reign, there was so much wealth and so much trade that every three years, ships would come from Tarshish, bearing all kinds of treasures. And Jehoshaphat goes, let's bring it back. 
you know what? Let's do it again. He goes down to the port city of Ezion Geber. And there he builds ships to send to Tarshish. And God sends an east wind that smashes them all against the rocks and they sink in the harbor without ever leaving. My friends, the pride of kings is as nothing. The wealth of nations is but a drop in the bucket. We have a God enthroned over us who renders our walls and gates unassailable. Is it not marvelous that Jesus said in his earthly ministry, the gates of hell will not prevail against us, meaning that we're on the attack. Attackers don't carry gates with them, only defenders. My friends, the offense of the church is a mighty force. The defense of the church is an unassailable foundation. We have a God who surrounds us and keeps us safe. He brings low the pride of princes. He brings low the strength of kings. You need not be afraid to follow Jesus. There is great cost to following Jesus. He warned us that from the beginning. He said that He would lead us safe into heaven, but He also promised us great trouble while here on earth. But here the sons of Korah see rightly that the church is born safely through all the opposition of our enemies, all the kingdoms of this world. Beloved, to what kingdom are you giving your labor? What work of your hands will you most surely see smashed against the rocks of this world and come to nothing? What do you love most? You can't take it with you unless it's the kingdom of God. Unless it is Christ and His righteousness, all the ships that you have built for all the glory of your life will one day come to nothing. And they will be rotting wood at the bottom of the bay. Will you have Christ, the last and only shelter for our city? Thirdly, the sons of Korah see that this has been the case throughout every generation. In verse 8, they say, we have heard it. That is to say, our, our parents and our grandparents have told us. We know the stories from of old, passed down through Moses, passed down through the tribes of Israel, passed down through the kingship of David. Yes, we have heard the great safety of the people of God. We have heard the stories of their triumph and their victory. And so they add, and we have seen it. How many of you grew up with those precious parents who told you the remarkable stories of God's provision for them? I did. I enjoyed godly parents who throughout my childhood told me again and again how God provided for them the most extraordinary ways. But it is something to grow up, be an adult, and see Him do it for yourself. We have heard the stories and we have seen it with our own eyes. What our parents said was true. I have seen it fulfilled in my life. From generation to generation, this legacy has come down. We are the people kept safe by Christ. Here in the city of the Lord of hosts, here in the city of our God, it is established forever. A city unshaken, a city that cannot be moved. From our parents has come this legacy, this church. In this building, in these pews, 
For 125 years, this Jesus has been preached, this supper has been served. How many of you remember that beginning? Should I go through the decades? How many of you remember when we crossed over the year 1900? 1910, 1920? How many of you remember those decades of grace? When the gospel was preached and grace was served and the saints were built up. It's not our church. We didn't build it. We inherited it. From parent to child, the gospel has gone forth. From generation to generation, we have heard and we have seen that our God establishes forever the church of Jesus Christ. It cannot fall. It cannot be moved. Selah. Stop and think about that. Stop and think about how much time and energy you give to the institutions of this world that evaporate like that. How many billions of dollars disappeared in 1929? 2008. How easy is it for God to turn the greatest wealth power in the world into poverty and third world living? It's easy. We are not as strong as we think we are. But the kingdom of God has been established forever. From generation to generation. The Selah comes now. Stop and think about that. Meditate on that. The reason is because the sons of Korah will now, in the second half of the psalm, hold out to us the three reasons why these things are true. They will revisit the exact same themes. So if you've been following along, verses 1 through 3, the church should worship God because we have access to heaven. Verses 4 through 7, the church should worship God because we have earthly safety. Verse 8, the church should worship God because this heavenly access, this earthly safety, has been passed from generation to generation forever. The sons of Korah will return to these three themes. Verses 9 through 11, heavenly access. Verses 12 and 13, earthly safety. Verses 14, verse 14, permanently. But now they will revisit those themes and provide the reason. Why the heavens are opened. Why the earth is safe. And why this is true forever. I'll give you a hint. All three reasons are one reason. And it starts with J and ends with Jesus. Dear friends, let us see Jesus. Notice verses 9 through 11. We have thought, O God, on your loving kindness in the midst of the temple. In this way, the sons of Korah sum up the intellectual exercise they have just gone through. They have come into the very heart of the city of God, to its temple. They have there seen the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, laying on the altar, its blood spilled for their sin. And there they have seen the loving kindness of God. There, in their intimacy with God, in their fellowship with God, they have thought about His love. And they have noticed that that love is greater than the human heart. That love is greater than the human house. That love must spill out to the ends of the earth. 
According to your name, O God, so your praise is to the ends of the earth. When one comes to church on Sunday morning, one does not hear a gospel so small it just simply assuages his or her personal problems. They hear a gospel so great that all the world should hear it. They discover a God so glorious that every human should worship Him. And this is what the sons of Korah have experienced. When I think about the love of God, my mouth can't stay shut, say the sons of Korah. When the love of God is poured within, the praises of God come leaping out. They turn then to the right hand of God, which is full of righteousness. You know, in our little world, righteousness is something you can hold in your right hand. It's a state of being. It's an intellectual concept. No offense, it's a legal concept. And we take it and we can hurl it. It's righteousness. You know what righteousness is to a Hebrew? It's a person. Do you know who's at the right hand of God? Jesus. The righteousness of God given for us. His right hand is full of the righteousness of Christ. Freely given to us. That right hand that calmed the storm gives to you righteousness. That right hand that raised up the mountains gives to you righteousness. That right hand is full of the righteousness of Christ that we should know His love though we are yet sinners. Though we are objects of wrath deserving of all destruction and judgment, yet the right hand of God goes forth. And in it is righteousness without end. Righteousness without limit. My friends, you have no sin bigger than the righteousness of Christ. Nor do you have too many sins for the righteousness of Christ. The sovereign, almighty right hand of God is full of righteousness. He does not run out. So let the church rejoice because of your judgment. Who rejoices at judgment? See, again, in our little worlds, judgment is usually a source of dread and fear and terror, isn't it? We don't want judgment. How many of you enjoy going into courtrooms and seeing judges? Lawyers, put your hands down. We generally are filled with fear when we see judges. But not when we as sinful creatures stand before the holy judge of all the earth. Dress in the righteousness of Christ. Then and only then do we rejoice in the judgments of God. And we say with David in Psalm 17, Judge me according to my righteousness imputed by Christ. Judge me according to my righteousness which I have received from your right hand. Dear friends, the church has access to heaven because the righteousness of Christ has been given to her. We have access to the fellowship of God because we have been made right with God. All our guilt is gone. All our shame is gone. All those things that make you cower in the corner and hide your face from God are gone in Christ Jesus. Be glad. Be glad and come to Him. Follow hard after Him. Walk with Him into the heavens. They are open to you by His love. His love and righteousness. 
But secondly, Jesus not only leads us into heaven, we have access into heaven through the church because Jesus leads us. Secondly, we have safety here on earth. Verses 12 and 13, the sons of Korah saying to us, walk about Zion and go all around her. Take the tour. I am a tourist who hates tours. I just hate having people tell me what to look at and when to look at it. I will do it at the pace I want to go. I'm just one of those independently minded people. But the sons of Korah are right. Take the tour. Come. Come walk around the church. See her strength and her glory and her beauty. It's not back there, but that is a nice window. It's not right here, though these are nice pews. Now look around. Do you see the towers of this building? I don't mean the peak at the front. Do you see the bulwarks? The thickness of the wall? The height of the tower? Do you see the stable, sturdy defenses? Consider her palaces. Have you walked the wondrous halls? that are alive with music and light? Have you sat at the table groaning beneath the weight of food and drink? Have you entered into the joy and the glory of this place? Have you seen how strong and safe and well-off she is? Have you seen it? Have you gone around and considered the glory of the church? Verse 14. For this is our God. What is the antecedent to the pronoun this? Bulwarks, citadels, palaces. Our strength is not in stick and stone, but in God Himself. Our safety is not in wisdom or cunning, not in courage or strength of heart, Our safety is in Christ and Christ alone. For this is our God. The glory of the church is God, Jesus Christ in the flesh. The power, the hope, the peace, the love, this is God. This is our glory. This is our hope. This is our joy. Our God. Verse 14. He is our God. He's not some abstract idea we conceived of. He's not some philosophical notion far off. He is our God. He knows us. He loves us. He cares for us. My friends, we have safety here on earth because we have Jesus with us here on earth. Go around the church and survey it. What do you see that is so wonderful here? It is Jesus. It is Jesus. This is what we have. And so we come to the last part. Jesus has opened the heavens to us. He is the one that leads us into heaven. Jesus is our citadel and fortress here on earth. He keeps us safe while we suffer the things of this life. That we might tell it to the next generation that we might pass it on as our parents passed it to us, and we might give it to our children and our grandchildren. 
that indeed from generation to generation for 125 years more, this church might worship Jesus and preach His gospel. But notice this final line. He will be our guide even to death. You know what I find so marvelous about that word? Our guide. What does a guide do? Does a guide get you around the problem? Our raft guide would be one lousy guide if he couldn't get us down the river, but instead took us overland. No, Jesus isn't that kind of guide. Jesus leads us in dark places. Jesus leads us as a guide, which means He's always in front of us. Jesus will never take you a place He's not Himself already been. And when you go down into the grave, you can take before you this comfort. Jesus has already been here before. He knows the road. He does not promise us a life without death. He promises us a life that will survive death. He is our guide even to death. It is a marvelous thing to be back here with you. On the eve of our 126th anniversary, 125 years, and He has been our guide for 125 years. May He be our guide for 125 more. And something I can assure you this morning from experience, even if He doesn't, even if we die, that's okay. Because the church of Jesus Christ walks from the very lowest parts of the earth to the very highest heights of heaven on the heels of Christ. Beloved, Jesus keeps you safe. Even in death itself, Jesus keeps you safe. Follow Him. Follow Him. Let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, we do rejoice before You in this beautiful psalm You have given us. We give you thanks for this glorious Jesus we have seen. This marvelous hope. This precious promise. We thank you, Father, that as the church of Jesus Christ, He has opened the heavens to us that we might speak to you as children to a Father. That we might have fellowship with you. That we might know you. And we give you thanks that through Jesus, we know we will be kept safe through all the trials and tribulations of this life, not spared them, but kept safe through them. And we know, Father, through this psalm, that He will deliver us glorious and sinless to His Father, a radiant bride, beautiful beyond measure and compare. And we pray, O oh God, that we, You would hasten the day. Establish our hearts this day and this week to live in and out of the riches of Christ and His glory. But do come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly and take us home. For this we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.